It's Wednesday, everyone, and that means it's time for my online show, Give Peace a Chance. I am Nashina Mohammed. Thank you so much for joining me. Please feel free to share this video with your friends and invite them to follow my online campaign by liking my page, Give Peace a Chance, so they can also receive the news feeds from my page and from my campaign. On the 29th of November, the world actually commemorated the International Day of Solidarity with Palestine. This day was established in 1977 to mark the decision made by the United Nations in 1947 to divide the state of Palestine into an Arab and a Jewish state. The UN chief, Antonio Guterres, called on Palestinian and Israeli leaders to explore every opening and opportunity to come to a resolution, a two-state resolution to end the conflict. He did express some um, sense of gloom around this, given that there are still issues that need to be resolved, which actually is weakening the chances of resolving this conflict. And those issues include the uh, expansion of illegal settlements, the uh, increase in the demolition of Palestinian homes, uh, the use of violence, and also the growing use of militant activity. He did, however, reiterate the UN's ongoing commitment and support to both Israel and Palestine to establish a two-state solution in accordance with the pre-1967 borders and Jerusalem, which is currently disputed by both sides as the capital of both Israel and Palestine. My guest today to discuss further is the lovely Yasmin Ruben Cooper, who is uh, a peace activist with the Women Wage Peace Movement. She joins me now. Yasmin, welcome. It's wonderful to see you again. It was lovely meeting you in South Africa a year ago on Women's Day. And actually, the Women Wage uh, Peace Movement inspired this campaign to a large degree because I was exposed to uh, a peace movement that was really committed uh, to resolving this conflict or influencing both sides to come to a peaceful solution. So welcome. Great to have you on the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yasmin, I mentioned in my introduction the UN Day in Solidarity with Palestine. Now, the 29th of November is a significant historic momentous day for both Israelis and Palestinians. For mm -hmm. Israelis, I suppose it's a day to recollect this uh, their success in the formation of a Jew Jewish state or the realization of the aspiration to form a Jewish state. But the other, for the other side, it's a day of despair. It's a day to send messages of solidarity with the, to the rest of the world, to appeal to the international community, to actually give more visibility to the Palestinian cause. What, what really happens in Israel on the 29th of November? Because you are an Israeli. Yeah, I'm a Jewish Israeli, which is very different from an Arab Israeli. I must say that Israel is many, many things. Sure. Um, well, specifically this year, I, I didn't see any sign for anyone mentioning it. I think Israel is on the verge of fourth election in a year and a half. The situation here economically and socially is very, very, very bad. And... Uh, uh, COVID-wise and politically, we have a very unstable government. Hatred is everywhere. So I don't think people are really stopping to think about it. Schools are half running, half not running. So I didn't hear any, hardly any mention of it in Israel. And obviously Israelis will uh, look at the 29th of November, the Jewish part of Israel, 
we're happy. We're happy we have State of Israel. I mean, it saved the Jews after the Holocaust, and it was a happy moment, but not everyone is happy of what became of that decision. There are many, many, um, uh, many, many opinions about it in Israel. Usually the public debate is a bit more noticed, but this year, I must say personally, I was hardly, and I'm, I'm reading newspapers of all kinds, I was hardly exposed to it this year because of the political and social and economic situation. Yeah, uh, I think people are desperate everywhere in the world right now. The global economy is in the doldrums and uh, economies are in a recession. Like here in South Africa, that's a priority. Jobs, the economy, you know, people are living yeah. below the poverty line. So I suppose commemoration takes, you know, the back seats when it comes to actually dealing with this pandemic. And I suppose that's an important point as well, because... It's really sad how this invisible war agent has destroyed lives, has uh, claimed more than a million lives across the globe. And yet, you know, we, we, we're still having these political debates on conflict. One would think that international leaders or especially Palestinian and Israeli leaders, countries where they are still, you know, embroiled in conflict will take some kind of leadership and say, you know, we in the middle of a pandemic, we choose the tanks, we choose the weapons, we choose the militant activity. Um, and here we're in a situation where we have no choice and we threatened uh, by an invisible war agent. So um, I think humanity maybe, you know, hasn't woken up and this was a big wake up call. It was actually, we were hoping in women wage peace in the beginning of the pandemic that this will be sort of a, um, a push towards more corporations and, uh, and an option for making peace, if not formal, then on the ground. Uh, sadly, it didn't happen. I think the gaps are really, really big and this conflict is so complicated. And I think m most of the people that are not in peace movements think it's unsolvable. I think it's one of the main reasons it's not solved because people do believe it's unsolvable. So yeah, but I the pandemic I we thought will be a, an engine for a change in this, but it wasn't apparently. Yeah, you know, I actually, you know, I don't agree with that. I think it is solvable. And, you know, if you if you read this, the, the statements made by the UN Secretary General um, on the UN Day of Solidarity with Palestinians, um, he quoted the, the three big issues, which is the expansion of illegal settlements, the increase in the demolition of Palestinian homes, the use of violence and the increase in militancy. Just stop doing that. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, really I mean, somebody easy, reading it, you think, okay, we're all human beings. Like from a humanitarian perspective, Israelis and Palestinians mm -hmm. are just human beings. They're people. Okay, you have these issues. Let's resolve it. And you think, you know, what's so complicated about that when you look well, at it? First of all, you're talking with the peace activists. So obviously, I do believe that it's solvable and more easily than someone else will uh, uh, expect. But I will say that those three subjects, when you when you look at the conflict like that, I think it's it's not the main things that are working here. It's a very masculine way of looking at it, like physical things on the ground. But mainly, there are narratives. There are, you, you mentioned them in the beginning when you mentioned 29th of November, but then those narratives go 
like 2000 years back that you need to deal with. The, there are many, uh, there is history of war, of killings, of, uh, uh, of uh, injuries, of hatred that is still here and we see it every day. So when you think of the conflict just as stop the settlements, this, this is just the, the, the seen part and like the, the upper part of it, the, the notice part of it, it's years of narratives and of emotions underneath that are not dealt with at all now. So civil society does deal with it. There are around, there are tens of peace uh, peace uh, uh, movements and peace organizations in Israel and in Palestine working together most of the time. But it doesn't affect the, um, the government the way the most of the public in Israel sees the conflict. Sure, and I suppose 70 years is a long time. So there's a lot of healing that also has to take place. You spoke about the hate and the enmity. So it's about building bridges. And I suppose that's what peace movements like the Women Wage Peace Movement is all about, building bridges. I just want to just talk about the message that came through from South Africa this year about the UN solidarity, uh, mm -hmm. the day of UN solidarity with Palestine. So South Africa this year's message is that reform the UN, that reformation of the United Nations is necessary. Uh, they say reform of the UN is paramount to achieve justice for the Palestinians. And South Africa will be chairing the UN Security Council for December and Kenya will fill an African seat in 2021 to 2022, um, replacing South Africa. And Africa has a responsibility to use these positions to work for Palestine. However, they do not elaborate what kind of reformation is needed. Do you, do you think that it's important to reform the United Nations and this would be impactful? I'm not an expert in the United Nations actions, but from what we do uh, cooperate with their representative in, for Israel and Palestine peace, peace in the Middle East, East it's called. But I can say that the, the UN doesn't have any authority of, uh, uh, of imposing some sort of uh, solution for the conflict. And any, uh, any move of taking sides is making the other side lose his belief in the UN as someone that can help. And I do know that the representatives in Israel work very, very hard uh, to help and open uh, dialogue opportunities and solve specific uh, um, explosions that happen here, like between Israel and the Gaza Strip. So I think it was, loses the ability to work on the ground, but yes. I do understand the hope that there will be magic somewhere or some external organization that can solve this conflict. But I do believe that it should be solved between Israel and the Palestinians, and that's a lot of groundwork to do. And I do think that uh, governments and the UN and other uh, international bodies can help and can be useful in this uh, finding those solutions, but they do need to find a way to do that without formally taking sides. It's not it's not working, it didn't work before. So you can't do more of the same or with more, do the same with the more power and hope to succeed or achieve other results. 
if it didn't work before, why should it work now? Yeah, so new, new ways, you need to explore new ways of actually moving towards that two-state solution, moving towards a resolution. We have the debate here in South Africa as well. Um, we have a pro-Israeli lobby. I will stop you just for a minute to say that Women Wage Peace does not endorse this or other solutions. There are more than one solution on the table. Mm. There are, I know personally four or five suggested solutions that are very, very creative. Many of them were created by Israelis and Palestinians together. And they are on the table. They're very different one from each other. And we believe that the two sides should sit on the next to the table together with women participating, women from all, all the groups in the Israeli and the Palestinian society sitting together and looking for a good solution that will, um, that will be accepted by both sides. And we believe this is the only way uh, to go forward and that it is, it is achievable. So I'm not here to represent the two state solutions because there are other solutions and we need to find the one that is suitable for Palestinians and Israelis and honorable for both sides. That sounds wonderful, but then you have the political leaders, certainly on the on the Palestinian side, saying we want this according to the pre-1967 borders and, you know, East Jerusalem as our capital, which is endorsed in the Oslo Accords. But I think it's so inspiring to hear from you that you have creative solutions on the table. And I think a lot of civilian participation, I think, would be necessary from different civilian organizations and peace movements, such as the Women Wage Peace Movement, which is very inspiring. It's wonderful to see um, educated uh, a woman with the right qualifications. I mean, you, you have a master's degree, you have a background in psychology. I mean, Hiam, who I spoke to the last time, is also highly educated, highly educated in the field. So you have the skills also, and you know how to reach out to people, you're an organization with empowered women on board as well. So I do think that, it, you know, it, it is, and then, you know, we, we still have to get to Palestinian elections. And so there's no really telling, I mean, how people vote really is symbolic of how they feel what the solution ought to be to a large degree. And then the government needs to engage civil organizations. I mean, does the Israeli government engage with civil organizations when it comes to these creative solutions that mm -hmm. you're talking about? Yeah, I think our work in Women Wage Peace a main part of it is affecting public opinion in Israel. So I think that if you look at Israeli society, you have the Arab population, which are mostly supportive. And I mean, all of them, I think, are most of them are supportive of some sort of solution. They are the, the part of the population that are uh, suffering the most from the conflict inside Israel because it affects the uh, connections between Jews and Arabs inside Israel, and it creates a lot of uh, hatred, and uh, uh, it, it doesn't help them to be part of the Israeli society. And they do feel they are part, most of them. And, and there is a small portion of really, really ideological people in Israel who believe Israel is all like the land between the Mediterranean and the Jordan is all Jewish, should be all Jewish, Palestinians should move away. This is a small, small portion. In the middle, you have a lot, a lot of opinions. Many of them say, okay, we need to find a solution, but we don't believe it's possible. There's no part in, 
partner on the other side. They don't want us here. So our job at Women Wage Peace, a lot of it is working on that, on the Israeli um, uh, state of mind mm. and creating more belief in the possibility of finding a solution. This is the main barrier for movement because when people don't believe, they don't demand it from the leaders. Mm, yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, precisely. That's what you're all about. It's about working at that grassroots level. So what you're saying is transformation on the ground in terms of the rigid mindsets, that, that has to happen and that is critical for the success. I think I suppose it's critical for the success for sustainable peace. People need to buy into uh, the whole idea of peace. People need to appreciate the other side and where they're coming from. Each has to appreciate each other. Coming back to what you said earlier, Yasmin, you spoke about it's important not to take sides in this matter. And we've had this conversation here as well. We have a pro-Israeli side and we have a pro-Palestinian side. And, um, you know, uh, I can say with confidence uh, that from the you know, from the Jewish community, they want South Africa to be a little bit more impartial. And obviously that's because South Africa stands in solidarity with Palestinians. Mm -hmm. So the pro-Palestinian lobby gains a lot more support here. And we're not saying that we're not sympathetic uh, to the Palestinian mm -hmm. cause by mentioning this, I'm just mentioning the facts and those are the facts. And it's important to have an honest broker of peace. And the same can be said for the US government. Are they honest brokers of peace? I mean, is there any hope for the, in, for the in, you know, with the incoming Biden administration that they could be an honest broker for peace as well? Well, I don't know yet. It seems like he's building a very uh, diverse uh, uh, government, which uh, makes me as a woman very, very happy uh, and a woman who believes in diversity. Uh, but put that aside, well, Israelis didn't feel that Obama administration was impartial. Some Israelis, I want to say something about Israelis, about this, you know, something to, uh, uh, that, that should represent an opinion, but it doesn't. And I think that the Trump administration obviously wasn't impartial. It was pro-Israeli and didn't try to hide it. And I think that Israel is not is not one thing in opinions towards the conflict because in Israel, many people support the uh, end of the conflict in this or other solution. There are 20% of Israel is uh, um, Arab Israelis who obviously want to find a solution and fast. The ultra-Orthodox Jews there are some big, big, big communities that are not interested at all in that. So Israel, when you talk about, we support Palestinians, who exactly the government? Who exactly does South Af Africa, America, or any other country, who do you support? Mm -hmm. I think that the, one, of the, um, one of the things that can open doors is not looking at Israel as one thing, one opinion, or looking at governments might not be the right thing to do. Israel didn't succeed in creating a government for a year and a half now. We do have a government, but it, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And we're going to elections today, they're going to vote for elections and probably will go to elections in three, four months. So in this situation, when you say we, su we support Palestinians or we support Israelis, 
also in Palestine, I, we just had a meeting a month ago with uh, young Palestinians and they said that public opinion in the Palestinian Authority, especially for young people, they want one country, one vote, one, uh, like one person, one vote. They don't want two countries. They want to enjoy what Israel uh, has to offer and they do want to be Palestinians and they see one country for all as a solution. So also there, uh, there, are, there are movements in what people want. And what you said before, not listening to all the voices will obviously create a solution that is not viable. I think that was part of what happened to Oslo. It was not only Robin's murder. The solution of Oslo was created without uh, sharing the ideas and the solution and without public uh, participation. Hmm. And that's what that was part of the problem and why it didn't hold after Robin was murdered. So I think that looking at the uh, at the problem and the solutions from new angles is necessary to find solutions that can work and be uh, and be sustainable. I couldn't agree with you more, Yasmin, and and this is why I wanted to bring this platform of the show alive because there are more than 300 peace movements from my understanding um, in Israel. Uh, and I'm not so sure if it's a combination of Israel and Palestine, but I know that there are hundreds of peace movements in Israel. And, I, and you know, prominent peace movements like the women wage peace movement, I mean, you can play that role in civil society. And it's, it's, it's really important to have that engagement because they, this is a complex conflict uh, that is why you've identified transformation and engagement at the grassroots level important. And there's so many layers and then you have the political leaders. So this grassroots movements are so important to engage with people. And, you know, you could end up playing a very vital and important role when it comes to, uh, you know, bridging the divide, building bridges between people and being that link between civil society uh, and governments as well. Uh, and I must say congratulations as well to your movement um, because you've been granted a special consultative uh, status. What does that mean uh, at the UN? And, and, and give us a bit of background. How will that give you leverage? What are your aspirations around this? So first of all, we're very happy we, we got this uh, status. Uh, we we worked hard. There's a group of women who worked from from women who worked very very hard to achieve that. We are still learning how to use that status uh, effectively. I can't say much about it. Ask me in a year, I'll be much more <laughs> informative about it. But we do try to um, to find any way we can to to work towards the end of the conflict. So. This was this is using our, uh, our foreign relations and working with embassies and now the UN. It's it's things we're learning with time, and so I can be very informative. Now we have a team that is learning now all the options to work uh, with the United Nations, and uh, I hope we'll know soon what we're going to do there. But well, I'm sure we will. That's absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. That's that's a big step forward because you have an international platform as well. You know, you have available to you uh, this wonderful opportunity to consult with the United Nations. And that's really that's a huge milestone. So so congratulations. 
Uh, you just have time. You know, our discussions were so interesting, and I think we've brought through some really important, relevant points to our audience. I just want to find out um, from you personally, as an Israeli, what inspired you to get onto the to the peace camp, to get involved in peace work. Yeah, well, I must say I'm part of the peace camp since I was a young woman in a youth movement. Uh, so it's not new, and I grew up in a family which was pro-peace. We have members in the movement who just got into it when they made, when they first met Women Wage Peace. I was there from before, and as an organizational consultant, I worked with peace movements and peace organizations for years. So I'm from the inside. But I would answer the questions a bit differently, what inspired me in Women Wage Peace specifically, because I think that Women Wage Peace, bringing the women and the peace together, together, we offer a new way to look at the conflict um, and a way that is more looking at the process and at the needs of people and as civil society as part of it, uh, more than, uh, former peace organizations we have in Israel, as you said, I'm not sure hundreds, but tens of course of peace organizations, wonderful organizations working to tackle this problem from all kinds of points of view. And we bring the connection between the feminist side, the woman's side and the peace side, because we think that the armed conflict is mainly, mainly man-made. And we think that women should be at the table to bring different perspectives and new ways to look at the conflict, look at the emotions involved and deal with them as part of the solution. When you try only to solve problems of uh, borders, settlements, where people uh, will stand with a gun, you, you deal only with a small portion of the conflict. And I think we look at it more widely, what happens to women in the conflict, what they can contribute to the end of the conflict. So I, I think that made me uh, more hopeful that we can find a solution if women would be part of the solution and not just uh, the recipients of whatever solution men will find. Absolutely, as a woman, I couldn't agree with you more. I think we have so much to offer as women and to bring to the table. We nurturing, exactly. we nurturing, we mothers, we we daughters, we sisters, we we, we grandmothers. And I think when you you know you connect at that level, you realize how important it is to actually be impactful to change things for 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 children. That one of the women that. Um, I also met from your movement was quite outspoken and she said for 70 years the men have done nothing it's time for women to take leadership and also to be impactful and to you know help to bring about change I thought that was a very powerful statement to make definitely I believe in that mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time it was so wonderful to to catch up with you and to have this and you know I think we shared enough with our audience today and I'd love to chat to you again so we're going to keep in touch and I'm gonna keep, you know, keep myself uh, abreast with developments that are taking place um, at your movement. Thank you, and you're uh, more than invited to Israel as soon as COVID is off and uh, visit and see how things are here on the ground. We'll be happy to have you. I'll be most happy to be there and to be, you know, part of engagements and discussions and actually to see how you bring things together at the grassroots level that we've been talking about. You know, it's wonderful. It's one. It's it's great to talk about. It's another experience altogether to be there, 
and to, to, to gain that firsthand experience of what you do as a peace movement engaging with both sides. So thank you and, and lots of blessings and wish you the best for December and uh, be safe. And, you know, it's, it's a gloomy time for everyone, but be festive. If you can be festive, by all means, do that. Share with thank your friends you, you and family. Too. Have a great December and we'll chat soon. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers.